Welcome to another episode of Embracing Differences with me, Nipin Anand. I want to begin this podcast with a story. A personal story when I was once invited to into an oil company to do a course on accident investigations. And it was lunchtime. Um, people from different departments came to join the discussion. There was supposed to be a video playing on empathy by the American professor, Brené Brown. Uh, for those of you who know her or don't know her, she's done some incredible work on, on shame, vulnerability, empathy, and so on. So people watched that video. It was a very short video, and it was meant to, to, to create some discussions and reflections. And I remember during the session, somebody raised his hand and said, uh, I, I'm still struggling to understand what was the message of the video because it doesn't quite align with our safety policies. So he couldn't make the connection between empathy and what was stated in the safety policies. And I think this is precisely the problem that we face today. Just because something is trending so well on social media, it appeals, it sounds cool, we pick it up and we present it to our people without giving it much thought. And I think it not only confuses people, but it also creates a culture in the organization where nobody really trusts anyone at all. And that is what I want to discuss today in this podcast. Some of you may recall that uh, we did a webinar with uh, Dr. Robert Long some time ago, some weeks ago, on breaking down the separation between ethos and ethics uh, and that is this podcast is a recording of that webinar I'm sorry it took a little bit long to get this to you things have been a little bit hectic for me in the last few weeks so uh, the question I want to ask is or we want to ask from Rob Long is can you articulate your ethos your worldview the way in which you see the world and can you make a connection between your ethos and your ethics, which is what you do when it comes to risk and safety? Similar to that empathy video that I just spoke about. It's going to be an uncomfortable ride, as is with everything when it comes to learning. So enjoy the ambiguity. Good morning, uh, good afternoon, uh, a very warm welcome as they say in cold countries, um, to, to, this, to this session. I am uh, joined, I'm very, very humbled actually that, uh, to, 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 that Rob took the opportunity to, to reflect on, to reflect his views about uh, ethos and ethics in, in risk and safety. And I think it would be a very interesting conversation. Um, Rob, uh, thank you so much for joining. Uh, I, I think, uh, it wouldn't be fair if I summarized your vast experience. Uh, uh, I think it's, it probably is a good idea that uh, you say a few things about yourself before we get into the main topic of discussion for today. Would you like to introduce yourself, Rob? Yeah, sure. Um, I guess for people on the call, um, I, I didn't come into the risk and safety world till 20 years ago. Um, so I commenced my career in 1971 uh, when I uh, first exited university with my first degree, quite some time ago now, 1971. Even back then, I was I was reading uh, quite significant uh, materials in social psychology. But uh, just to summarise quickly, um, since 1971 and and uh, and, and forward, I've worked in uh, quite a number of sectors in separate careers. So I've had seven different careers. So distinctly different careers in education, social work, community services, government and non-government services, youth work. Um, I founded my own special program for uh, delinquent high needs uh, young people, which is still going today. And I also had a career in theology and non-government services. So when I came into the risk and safety world 20 years ago, 
uh, was directly after um, the Canberra bushfires when uh, uh, 600 homes were destroyed by bushfire here, and and it became a bit of a bit of a uh, a, a bit of a, a moment in my life when I thought, no, it's time to jump. And so I jumped out of that, uh, and then I've been involved in the risk and safety world now for for about 20 years. And I must say, after working in um, in five different professions preceding risk and safety, I, I have come into this world, and um, uh, I don't have words to explain uh, what I've encountered. Um, I think that world of risk and safety doesn't know much about itself uh, because it's quite insular and it's quite closed. And I would call it a monodisciplinary type activity. Uh, I won't use the word profession. I never use the word profession because I don't think the risk and safety world is professional in what it does. I don't think it's ethical in what it does. And so I came into this world of risk and safety from these other careers. And I've been involved in that for 20 years. So uh, I've written um, 11 books on uh, this unique approach, the social psychology of risk. Um, I've done many, many different things. I'm not going to go into the detail. If you're interested in that, it's all on the internet. Don't, don't bother. So that will do me for an introduction. But uh, uh, also, Rob, uh, there's a little story behind it. And I must say this, in 2016, inspired by your, by your good work, whilst I was still doing audits and inspections and, and, and surveys on, on ships, uh, I once wrote to you, uh, I, I, could, I could never get into terms with this idea of zero accidents. Mm. And you were so kind to send me four books uh, uh, from all the way from Australia. And, and that kind of changed my life in many ways. I, I started to think so much more deeply about those things. But of late, you have been mentoring me, you have been coaching me, I have learned so much from you. So I wanted to just thank you at many, many levels uh, uh, before we even start this conversation. Uh, such, such a, so much to learn from you. Yes, I must say. Uh, thank you. Rob, uh, uh, also, uh, we, did an, uh, we did a podcast together and I think uh, the podcast we did a few months ago was one of the most cited, one of the most uh, listened to podcasts. So, so obviously there are a lot of people who are very interested to, to hear your views. And that's the reason I wanted to bring you in. And there's a testimony to it because somebody just put it in the chat window uh, at Tanya uh, that she woke up at 3.30 in the morning from Canada to, to, to listen to your, to your views. <laughs> obviously it means a lot to many people that you are joining us today. So thank you thank at you. many levels, yes. Sir. Thank you. Rob, uh, let's start with the discussion. I, I, I don't think one hour will be, uh, well, we'll do the justice, but maybe let's, let's see where we get to at the end of this conversation. Uh, what I would like uh, everyone who's listening is that uh, you will feel uncomfortable and that's, that's absolutely good because that's where learning really lies. And if you uh, have any questions or comments, uh, uh, we will try to capture as many as we can. So put it in the question and answer session, not in the chat window. I will not be looking at the chat window. I will only look at question and answers, but uh, once the webinar ends, we will put it into some sort of a podcast and I will try to answer some of the questions or we will try to answer some of the questions you raise or at least reflect upon them in, 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 uh, on, on the LinkedIn platform. So here we start then. Uh, Rob, uh, tell us what is it that you want to, to achieve? What is it that you want to convey in the next few minutes? Uh, that's a good question because... Um... Look, I, I think one of the things that drives what I do, uh, you might call it an ontology, you might call it a reason for being, we all have a reason for being. Um, and I think my whole life, uh, and I'm now uh, semi-retired and reflecting much more, enjoying my grandchildren more and less involved in the day-to-day -day, uh, stuff of safety and emergencies and things I used to be involved in, I've always been uh, convicted in my life to help people learn. So in uh, my very first degree, so I have five degrees, but my very first degree was in learning and education. And I uh, started in 1971 back then uh, very much convicted by the fact that my job was to facilitate 
uh, my own learning, but also sharing the learning of others to help others learn. And so even if people are uh, upset with me because I provoke them, I'm actually quite happy if they're provoked because without some provocation, we're all very, very comfortable. The truth of the fact is, if you're not uncomfortable, you're probably not learning. So again, if you were to remember to go back to your childhood, <clears throat> perhaps you were in primary school or even earlier, you know, the purpose of that teacher is not to assure that you're comfortable where you are. The purpose of that teacher is to help you move. And all learning is about movement. If you're not moving, if you're static, you're not learning. And so all learning is movement and all movement is learning. And that doesn't happen without a degree of discomfort. And so, you know, I find it quite odd. I don't deliberately upset people. It's not, I don't go around deliberately upsetting people. All I do is I simply respond uh, to questions. Sorry, I've just, people ringing me. Um, I just respond to, um, I just simply respond to people's questions at the time. So if you ask me a question about ethos, I don't turn on some special kind of a facade. I just answer from the heart, from my worldview. And my worldview is shaped by all of those things that have created this formation, social psychology, theology, education and learning, uh, and, and those kinds of things. So I have three postgraduate degrees and two undergraduate degrees and a, a number of postgraduate diplomas. They simply only the academic work which have supported this basic ontological drive, which I had from a very young age, that um, it's not about the facilitation of knowledge. It's about the facilitation of learning. I don't have to know everything to, to um, uh, and Socrates did this very much as well. Um, a Socratic question is often a, a question that reflects on your question. And I do that a lot. You may ask me a question and then I will question why you've asked me the question. Um, and that makes people uncomfortable. The trouble is I find in the risk and safety world where most people want to be comfortable because they want compliance and they want certainty. If you want certainty, then you don't want learning. If you can embrace uncertainty, then you can embrace risk. If you can embrace risk, then you can learn. But if your purpose in life is to, is to diminish and suppress risk, then you're also suppressing learning. And so there's really, there's that paradox there. And so I've been doing that uh, for 50 years. So um, yeah, does that, does that, that's my answer. Yeah. Absolutely. And uh, you talk about, uh, it does. I mean, it makes uh, all the sense in my world, Rob. Uh, so uh, uh, moving on to, to the, the very specific idea of ethos and ethics in risk and safety. Yeah. Let's start with, uh, to, to, to the listeners who probably don't come from, some of them don't come from the academic background. Let's try yeah. and unpack what, what, is, what is the meaning of ethos and ethics and why, yeah. why the disconnect between the two? Okay, so um, a lot of people use both words and don't know what they mean. It's a bit like in the risk and safety world, I, I haven't seen... I, I, in fact, I haven't seen a decent definition of culture anywhere globally of the idea of culture. So you're not going to get it about ethos either. So the, the, if you go back to the, 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 the root of the meaning of the, the word ethos, it, it's, it's about who you are. It's about your being. So your ethos is very much, it's even more than your view of the world because ethos is not just about some cognitive idea it's about your complete personhood and because of this personhood i do this it precedes doing and so ethics is often about systemic morality and so when we talk about a code of ethics or what is your ethic we need to draw a very very strong difference between ethics and your moral um your moral drive 
So your ethos is very much about your determining being, what it is to be. And so, for example, if I was to, my, my wife, for, for example, has been a piano teacher for 50 years. She teaches everything from um, a beginner grade right up to concert piano level. So she's been a piano teacher. Um, she's also synesthetic, which is quite interesting because she has a gift uh, and, and it's a quite unconscious, inexplicable gift. So if you play a note, even if it is a, a, a clap or a, a, a tingle on a glass, right? she knows what that note is and can name it, right? Because she feels music. It's in her being. So her ethos is a musical ethos. And from out of that ethos comes an ethic, right? Now, in between the ethos, which is our theory of being, what gives us purpose and meaning in our life, that's, that's where ethos is. From that purpose and meaning in our life, we then develop two things. We de develop a sense of morality, and that's tied to culture. It's tied to heredity. It's tied to uh, how you're brought up, your children, your birthplace, um, your, your, your connection or non-connection to symbolic myth, symbol, religion, et cetera, all that stuff. So even the absence of that, even an atheistic background will give you a theistic view. So, so all of those things that shape your moral uh, drive, uh, which can be completely out of sync with an ethical declaration by an organization um, uh, is connected to your ethos. So your center of being. <clears throat> so for example, let's say for example, you were brought up a very, very strict Catholic. That's not my background, but, but let's say you were. And you were brought up in some very strict traditions in a very strict culture. You would have a very quite specific moral uh, sense of values and, and, and right and wrong what should be. And let's say, for example, you grow up and you become a medical doctor, right? And the only job that's offered to you is one in a non-Catholic medical center where they have an ethical policy that supports the notion of euthanasia and abortion. That's completely inconsistent with their personal and individual and cultural morality right? So morality and ethics are very, very different. Yep. Very, very different. So don't go and read the Australian Institute for Health and Safety Body of Knowledge book on ethics, because it tells you there's no difference, which shows that the industry of safety not only is not professional, it doesn't even know the difference between morality and ethics, right? when it comes to talk about ethics, because all the Institute of Safety wants to do is to prove a deontological ethic, which is compliance and duty are all you have to comply to. And that's very, very clear when you read that chapter in their body of knowledge. Clearly not written by an ethicist, clearly not written by anyone who knows anything about ethics. So when we get this different view, let's go back to our medical doctor, brought up as a Catholic, has a strong personal moral conviction i'm not saying it's right or wrong i'm just saying that's their ontology they will need to look for congruence between an ethic which is a systemic morality and their own morality which is tied much much more to their culture heredity civilization their history their background their family etc so we need to really understand that ethos is more tied to that, that moral formation and ethic is more tied to the outworking or the systematizing of a morality. But your ethos is your fundamental reason for being, your purpose and your meaning in life. So much to think about. And I'm thinking uh, uh, as you're speaking, Rob, uh, you, you also, uh, made a statement that uh, this is something unique to the safety and risk world. If, if you look at other professions, 
you those the, that disconnect or the misalignment does not exist or is not as 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 amplified. Now, yeah. why would you say that? What 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 makes you think that way? I I, I find it absolutely fascinating. Um, there's this there's this kind of a. I was looking at a at a at a, a website today that was selling uh, safety templates. Right, it's a, it's an organisation million dollar billion dollar organization in australia and they make all their money selling templates so it's just forms it's just you can have them electronic or paper based you can print them out and put your your company's logo on them uh, you can print out whatever you like and they proudly uh, list on their website that they have 15000 different checklists you can download well, now, okay, so you can download all of these checklists and yet at not one moment think about what was the driving ethical or moral foundation for the creation of the design of that form. You don't care. You just fill it out, you check the box, and someone's happy, a regulator or an auditor. But at no time... Does the risk and safety world consider that that form has a bias? It's not objective. There is no form that's objective. Every form has a designer. I don't care if you design a spreadsheet or you design some table of some sort to, to check risk and safety in an organisation. If you grab a template, you're not actually using your own brain. You're actually just simply adopting what someone else designed from their ethos, from their worldview, and then they've produced a method and you just copy it. Now, why is it this, this risk and safety world does not think that that's a problem? Because if something goes wrong and you go to a court, someone dies or there's been a bad accident and you end up in a court of law, if you're found to just be a replicator of templates, you're in big trouble because the court wants to know how you thought and what you thought about in engaging risk. And so we have this crazy industry, <clears throat> which is completely tick and flick because this organization uh, recently uh, on the Australian Stock Exchange uh, just got uh, venture capital for $2 billion to expand what they're doing, right? I think all of it should be illegal if you have not developed your own process of how to tackle risk and safety, then you're using someone else's philosophy, you're using someone else's ethos, you're using someone else's method. And what's hidden behind that is their philosophy, their methodology or their ethos. And then I just think, wow, what an amazing industry that doesn't think carefully about that design. Now, if you were going into a, a profession like uh, school teaching or, uh, or social work, they are very, very aware of the methodology that underpins method. Yep. You go into the risk and safety world, no one's even asking the question. No one's even asking the question. What is the methodology that underpins this method? And then someone says to you, oh, it's zero. Oh, you're in trouble. So you've now got a method and the whole purpose and meaning of the method is locked into an ideology that says that no accidents are possible. That's interesting because your insurance company will disagree with you immediately. And, and, and so on we go. So the risk and safety industry seems completely ob oblivious to philosophy, uh, ideology, methodology or the, uh, the, the underpinnings and the foundations of lots of things that they use. And there is nothing in the risk and safety world that is designed that is not coming from a methodology, from an idea, from an ideology. Yet we seem to just grab all these templates and as long as we fill out the template, we've done our job. Remarkable, remarkable. Excellent. This is this is so good. Uh, I, I'm, I'm just loving it. Now, uh, uh, 
I'll give you a simple example. Um, uh, my daughter actually was tested uh, positive for coronavirus some, some few weeks ago. And uh, I got a call from, from, the, from the NHS, uh, uh, one of the nurses. And the first question that was asked was that, how is she? Is she doing okay? So I think in, in one way, uh, they must have a protocol when they, when they, when they approach uh, you, uh, when you, you know, you're tested positive. And I, I guess what I'm trying to say is in one way, what you're saying is that <clears throat> even at a very unconscious level, the ethos is so connected with the ethics. Yes. When, when, so somebody must have thought that this is, this is a, the most important question to ask, even before you start to ask the details of, of what the patient is going through. And I guess it's something along those lines is what you're trying to say. Am I right? Yes. Um, look, I, I'm running, um, I'm currently running a philosophy module, philosophy module for safety people, right? And um, it's packed out. We do it every Wednesday morning. And every single person, every single person online in the module has never thought about any of the things I put to them before, any of it. Now, some of them have undergraduate and postgraduate degrees in risk and safety, and nothing I put forward to them has ever been considered. I know it sounds funny, but, you know, lots of people enter the risk and safety world because of this underlying passion, which gives them a meaning and purpose because they come into it because they think they'll make a difference because they'll, they'll be saving lives and stuff like that, right? And, and they bring this passion into it, and yet behind that passion and what you do is a methodology, a reason for being. And yet I've never spoken to one risk and safety person who can clearly articulate their philosophy or their ethic or their ontology or their ethos. It is simply not in the risk and safety curriculum anywhere. Let me tell you something. If, and I've done this many, many times. <clears throat> you're, you're, you've got your first cohort of school teaching students. It's their first session, their very first year. They're doing a four-year degree, a Bachelor of Education, and they want to be a school teacher, right? From that very first lecture, yep, they are confronted with dozens of educational philosophies, reasons for being, to be a teacher, what kind of teacher will you be? What kind of educator will be? What kind of system of learning will you favour? None of that is part of any educational training of a safety person. And so I hear all these safety people, the word, the word professional drips out of their mouth like it's a conjunction to join words. You will never hear me say that word because until the risk and safety world develops, an ethic and starts to get interested in the methodology behind its methods, it will never be professional. That's if you go to a teacher, they will tell you what their teaching methodology is, and that will back their method. And so methodology and method are not the same thing. A methodology is the philosophy that drives your method. And most risk and people, safety people don't even know that. And, and no, it's nowhere in the studies. I mean, I remember 10 years ago, I, I, I wrote a paper and called for a complete reform of the, uh, the safety industry's uh, uh, studies and formation process. I asked for a, a complete reformation of the curriculum. If I had my way, I would throw out 95% of what's in a current safety degree, 95%, yep, because safety degree is not there to teach you how to think, it teaches you how to make sausages, that's it. Fascinating. Um, you make me thinking, Rob, I, I, I'm at loss with words, but uh, uh, there is so much to, to take from here. Um, 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 I probably need some 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 guidance from you now as to how to move forward from here. Um, what do you think we should be doing? Well, the, the question that I was thinking about as you were speaking, Rob, was that uh, that uh, there is a lot of uh, movement, as we call it, in the safety world. Uh, new view, uh, safety to uh, 
uh, say it differently. Uh, uh, what are what are your views about that? Uh, how do you think about this this change that is happening right now? Um, interestingly, I'm not particularly thrilled with it because there's no fundamental change. Some wonderful branding, but no change in worldview. So the worldview is still focused on this scientist, engineering, mechanistic production of systems. Yep. And when it talks about human factors, it sees humans as a factor in a system. That is completely alien to me. I have no idea what you're talking about. And so the focus remains on systems and it's highly imbalanced towards um, this, this complete focus on systems. And so I see all the language about S2 safety differently, one, two, three, four, five, six, I don't care what it is. If your worldview does not shift, it's the same. All you're changing is the cosmetics that come out of it. The method's the same, the methodology is the same, there is no fundamental questioning of the current orthodox worldview, which is a deontological view of risk and safety. So here's a simple question for you. Who in the whole of the S2 safety different, whatever brand you have, who has written about the nature of ethics in that genre? How, just one? No. No one. What does that say? You see, there's no interest in it because they're formed by this ideological connection to the same foundation of safety, traditional engineering. I mean, even the Australian Association, uh, sorry, American Association of Safety Engineers, it used to be called. They changed their name two years, three years ago to the American Association of Safety Professionals, AASP, right? They simply switch engineers from professionals. But do you think it's any different? No, it's the same focus. So for, I'll give you a good example. Um, we had a, 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 a huge um, uh, five-year coronal inquiry uh, called the Dreamworld disaster here in Australia on the Gold Coast, uh, an adventure park. Four people died in a, in a rapid river ride, right? Okay. Who do you think came in for the coronial inquiry? Nine different people were called in to do examination, uh, critical inquiry and interrogation of the event. So an investigation, right? Eight engineers, no safety people, not one person from the safety world, and a clinical psychologist, that was it. And so if you read the report, that's what we do. We're still in a sausage of engineering. And if you read across the development of systems and, and forms and all the things we're currently using in risk and safety, whether it be in investigations or whatever we're doing, it's still the worldview of engineering. Nothing has moved. And when you listen to the language of the S2 safety differently people, just listen to their language. It's the same language. The language has not changed. Can you articulate on that? Because I, I find that that's very, very, very uh, interesting. Uh, why you don't see the shift in language? Can you? I'll give you, I'll give you a good example. Yes. So, yes. so, so okay. So, safety differently got these three slogans developed by Sydney Decker. Their first slogan is, "People are not." an object to control, they're a resource to harness, right? That's one of their slogans. What do we do with the harness? We're controlling an animal with a harness. We put a bit in their mouth or a dog harness or we control a child with a harness. So what the first slogan says from Decker is, people are not an object to control, they're an object to control. And no one gets it. The language is the same. There is no difference. Go look it up. Don't take my word for it. Go straight to the Safety Differently website. Look at their three slogans. People are not objects to control. They are resources to harness. 
It's the, it's the same language. There's no difference. I'll tell you right now, I am not an object or a resource for you to harness because the language gives power to who? I'm not interested. That is, that is not my anthropology. I am not here for some person in a business to put a bit in my mouth and control me as some subjective or ordinance or object with which they can control. And this comes from the slogans of safety differently. So, so don't get me started on them. I don't like, I, it's just, it, if there was a difference, I'd love to see it. Great. I mean, my idea really was to explore uh, the, the, the reason why you say so. Uh, there's a lot in there. I think you have written on it uh, very, very, very extensively, and we will share those those writings from you um, at the end of this uh, this podcast. Uh, uh, I'm conscious of the time, Rob. <clears throat> I think we've had some great discussions. So, um, just uh, as we move forward, now that you have highlighted some some really uh, interesting gaps here, uh, how do we how do we move move from here now? What what, okay. what hope do we have as safety professionals? Well, okay. Well, I don't even use the word. Um, it's, I find it so interesting to use the word safety professionals because it's now become so automatic. We don't think about what it means. <clears throat> okay. So let's, I'll, I'll talk about the safety industry, right? And I always do. Um, there are several things. Uh, none of the associations, IOSH, NEBOSH, IHS, NH, whoever they are, are thinking for two seconds about the fundamental philosophical basis of what safety is. No, there's no thought about it because there's no shift in curriculum either. So until there's a shift in curriculum and what we spoon feed people with, which is not much more than indoctrination and propaganda, and still we shift away from a Mickey Mouse degree into a professional degree, there's no way you could compare the education of a lawyer or a teacher with a safety person. There is no comparison. I've worked in the three sectors. I've worked in education in the three sectors. There is no comparison, right? You cannot compare the three. So a curriculum shape, that's one, shaping and changing the curriculum. But we're afraid to do that. We're so locked into compliance. We're so locked into certainty. So that's the first one. The second one is transdisciplinarity, getting outside of the monodiscipline of safety, right? And it is a discipline in how it's defined in a university. But you see, even you, Nippon, you have got a quite broad disciplinary background, which of course instantly makes you quite different. You're not in that engineering sausage or that scientist sausage. You are broader in um, uh, many of the things which you access. And so unless we're accessing a broad uh, disciplinary base, which is the base of, of, of transdisciplinariness, how would you even know that your own language is, is, uh, is religious and theological? How would you know that if you have no background in religion and theology? So I have a background in that. I read all of this stuff coming out of the global industry on zero and it's completely religious. Look at their latest video they promote called the spirit of zero. Have a look at that video produced by the global risk and safety industry on what zero is about. And you, you, you could go to Hollywood and, and, and they would make something um, like, uh, you know, Indiana Jones and the temple of doom. It's like, it is so religious and so mystical and so metaphysical, it is absurd. But because there's no broad base in the safety industry, they actually don't know what they're doing. But go have a look at it. I'd, I'd say to anyone here on, um, on, on here, unless you can transverse across the disciplines and get outside of this safety blinkered thing, then the industry won't move ahead, which is, often a shock for safety people when they find themselves in a courtroom with a lawyer from a completely different discipline and most of the education 
given to safety people about the law is miseducative. It is not educational about the law. It is more an indoctrination about what safety thinks the law is. Well, if you want to shock, just wait till you get your first session in court and a lawyer carves you up and teaches you what the law is. Yep. So, oh, yeah. and so, and so, you know, having worked across five distinct disciplines in my life, then coming into the risk and safety world, you know, I, I see lots of risk and safety people use the word learning, right? They use the word learning. If you say to them, what philosophy of learning are you talking about? Oh, they would say, well, there's only one. Really? In that case, you don't know anything about learning. And so, you know, uh, uh, even not even knowing what indoctrination is or not knowing what propaganda is, you know, <sighs> I, Unless you can dig at the philosophy behind it, what's the worldview, what's the ethos, what's the driving energy, what's the purpose, what's the meaning, you're just stuck with a bunch of methods and you don't know what that driving ethos is. So uh, first one would be there needs to be a change in the curriculum. The second one needs to be, uh, and I would suggest to, to any safety person, read outside start reading anything outside the scope of your discipline i don't care anthropology sociology not engineering not science keep it out of there start getting involved in in things like ethics personhood what makes a human person how do people learn start working down there i agree that's what, that's what transdisciplinary is about we trans this we we transport across the disciplines not in the blinkered one monodisciplinary view oh absolutely and that is the meaning of information also in some ways you know you're always information information yes absolutely yeah. Rob, uh, i think we we have covered so much in this uh, few minutes yeah. i would uh, uh, i know um, uh, some people, uh, I, I saw some some comments there, and and they they still feel insulted. I don't know why. Uh, I, I, I find it interesting that uh, they don't like their they don't like this profession. You, whenever you say, and you say I don't take this professional thing right, and then they're offended. Oh, I'm somehow unprofessional. Go and do some research on the nature of professions and how a profession is defined then go and look at the educational development of a teacher, a lawyer, a doctor, a nurse, a social worker, and you tell me that safety is the same. Yes, so that, that's an interesting thing. Because somebody, when I gave the example of the checklist uh, where, where the nurse asked the question, is your daughter okay? And then the, the answer was that that could very well be part of the checklist. But that's precisely what I'm saying. That it yes. is part of the checklist, that the ethos is aligned with the ethics. And I think that's that's a that 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 message is so important in this conversation. Yeah. Rob, uh, there are some questions from people. Let's take a few minutes yeah. to see yeah, if we yeah. can answer some of them. I think. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we'll start with the first one. Uh, um, what five percent of the existing curriculum would you keep? Um, I'm going to answer that by telling you about an education degree. <clears throat> when when a person comes into university to learn how to be a teacher, they do not teach teachers the Education Act. There is an act of parliament called the Education Act. That is not taught as the foundation of education, right? But when you do a degree in risk and safety, <clears throat> the whole focus is on this documentation of regulation and legislation, which is rather bizarre because you will never appear as a lawyer in court ever. So here you are getting all of this information about the act and the regulation, giving you just enough information to never be a lawyer, but to then go out and cite and think you are. And then you adopt all these forms, which of course will mostly be used against you when you get in court. Absolutely, and this is what uh, Charles Pedro also writes. That yeah, yeah. Well, you're you're going to you're going to talk to Greg Smith soon on this on this podcast, and and 
Greg is a, a lawyer. He's a specialist in OHS law. He will carve you up when it comes to jurisprudence. So I find it fascinating that we load up this safety degree. And then, you know, most safety people won't actually go out into the field. You want to know what they really want to know about? It's not regulation and it's not the legislation. It's not even standards. They want to know how people think, why people think they do as they do, how human beings make decisions, why do human beings make decisions the way they do, how to connect with persons, how to connect between why people do what they do and, and why it doesn't make sense to me. What is the psychology of human personhood and personality? Because I've got to now engage with these human beings on tractors and cranes and forklifts and conveyor belts and whatever, and I've been giving nothing, zero nothing in my degree to do it, nothing. There is nothing in a work health safety degree that helps you become a person who engages with other people in the fundamentals of human judgment and decision-making. Think about that for just a minute. None. Wow. Great, Rob. This is so good. Absolutely. Let's go to the next question. Um, and I don't know if you'll be able to answer uh, all of yeah. them. Let's, let's try. What disciplinary backgrounds would you include inside a large organization's safety department? Uh, very good. That's a great question. Um, <laughs> I was once helping an organization uh, hire safety people, right? And some of the best safety people I know who those who didn't go through high school into safety, do a safety degree and into an organization. One of the best safety people I know is a guy in Melbourne who started his career as a nurse. Another great safety person I know started his career as a youth worker. Yep. I tell you what, if you want to know what high risk is, don't worry about a conveyor belt. Worry about an 18-year-old boy who's got a flick knife in his back pocket. Then you'll worry about what risk is. Yep. If you want to know what risk is, go into a maximum security jail cell with convicted murderers and start worrying about every single syllable you'll say because any of them can kill you immediately. And I've had people tell me, oh, Rob, you don't know anything about safety. You haven't been on the back of a crane. Or, Rob, you don't know anything about safety. You haven't been on the, in the bowels of a ship. And I'm thinking, how judgmental is safety that it thinks that is what risk is? I tell you what, if you want to know what risk is, drive a taxi in my city at 2 a.m. on a Friday night. Find out what risk is there. So let's not parcel risk and safety into these tiny little parcels of manufacturing or construction because risk is all of life it's about the uncertainty in all of what we do and the faith and trust we place in others to tackle that risk it's not oh yes my goodness me i've got a safe work method statement on how to lift a forklift above you know three meters my god really is that what you think risk is so you know, um, I think our world's too small. I think the risk and safety is way too small. And so I would be expecting people who come into a safety department to come from community services. Uh, if you want someone who knows something about learning, um, you won't get our safety degree. Bring someone in who's been in the adult training, education or school sector. Bring in someone who's been from community service, who's got life experience out of the you know, I remember when I worked in social work, I, I, I tell you what, I'll, I'll give you a little challenge for a risk and safety person who thinks a conveyor belt can kill you, and I know it can. Try rolling up to a house to take two children from their parents with two police behind you, and the fellow answers the door with a handgun in his hand, saying, if you take my kids, I'll kill you. And I'm not trying to compare one with the other and less. But let's stop talking about risk as if it's just some narrow little parcel which we write on the JSA as if it's not bigger than that. So if I wanted a safety department, I'd be start bringing in safety people with broad transdisciplinary education, broad worldview, broad experience beyond just 
you know, this narrow parcel of what we think uh, risk and safety is. And then our, our department would blossom with, with such a broad perspective of open-minded approaches to what risk is. And at the moment, I think the industry um, still, I mean, I, I, often, I often run this uh, a quiz with safety people and say, oh, list for me the, the 10 most important words for you in risk and safety. And so we just do a little audit of their language. You know, the top two words that come out all the what first, hazards and control, that's it. Hazards and control, that's what safety is about. Name the hazards and control them, that's it. Which is really funny. A hazard, a hazard is an object. Yeah, but it is. Uh, I'm, I'm just thinking, if not control, uh, what then? Because that's the that's what an organization does, isn't it? The organization exists to exist to control. Everything is about control. So how do we get out of this out of this uh, way of thinking? I mean, the very, very act of organizing it, it, it means that you want to turn raw material into 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 some sort of a product or a service. And in doing so, you bring people together and you have to control everything from the start to the end. So how yeah. do you, but what you're saying is that by, uh, when, when you start to employ people from humanities, from, from other yeah. disciplines, yeah. Uh, they yeah. will bring ambiguity, they will bring uncertainty, which, which is yeah. which goes against the, the, the purpose of the organization. So I'm just thinking, uh, how, do we, how do we bring all this together? Yeah, and, and uh Look, we've only got now to talk about a very, very broad thing. And I see a comment there that says it depends on the person. Well, of course it does. One of the interesting things in, uh, in the risk and safety world is, is um, the focus on itself. You know, I would rather bring a person in who's been a nurse or a, or a school teacher or a social worker and then go get them a, a safety diploma than get someone who's got a safety diploma whose complete life experience is just this been this narrow channel. Um, look, the, 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 the things that, that, that could be done are being constrained at the moment by the associations which lock in um, everything as it is. Uh, they don't want to be challenged by me. They don't want to talk to me. Um, they would rather demonize me than have a conversation with me because I ask questions and I question the very thing which they should be doing as associations, opening up, broadening education, etc. So it's closing down. And I don't care whether it's IOSH or whoever it is, it, part of the purpose of their association is this closing down. Funny thing in Australia is lots and lots of risk and safety people don't belong to these any longer. They're not helping them in their careers. They're, they're locked in to this narrow production of checklists and sausages and this sort of stuff, but it's not broadening the base. So I don't know a single risk and safety person who belongs to any of these. Um, so they self-replicate self themselves, but there's no critical thinking. There's no uh, contribution of sophistication to what it is to broadening the base. And until it shifts from being a club of like-minded, you know, uh, political uh, things to a broad-based thing, um, I can't see any change. Probably what will happen is in 20 or 30 years, someone will start up an alternate association and compete with them, and people will join that, probably. Thank you, Rob. That's very interesting to hear. Uh, another question, um, uh, the idea of education you talk about, Rob, is uh, that more found outside of formal education at the moment. Is this a self-directed learning? Uh, self-directed learning is, is really what um, I encourage lots of people to do. I, I get contacted every single day, Rob, you know, where, what's a good book to read? Where should I go? Whatever. Um, you know, even um, some of the basics. So I often say to people in risk and safety, you know, what's the problem? Oh, it's engaging people. It's listening to them. It's understanding why they think how they think. It's, it's empathy. It's connection. I say, good. Here's, here's a very, very basic uh, counselling book that is, is 101 beginner for someone who does a communications degree or a community services degree. 
Uh, you know, anyone who has to serve the community, go out and engage with difficult people, that's your book. Fantastic. And, and that's where they go. Um, you know, I often say I've, I've recommended to quite a number of people who have a, a safety degree, a diploma, um, to start a diploma in, in one of those human uh, person-focused uh, qualifications to broaden what they're doing, to step completely outside. And now that's formal education. If it's not formal education, then I'd say, look, get in touch with someone outside of this field who, who works in a job that's people-centred, not object-centred. You know, the whole purpose of a school teacher is not, you know, when a, when a school teacher trains, they don't talk about the setup of a classroom. The complete focus of a teacher is children, is people, is, is communities of children and so on. Um, you train to be a safety person and you're told that the most important thing is to list 50,000 hazards on site and to control them. So the shift has to be to, to the humanities or, or people-based stuff, get to know someone outside of the context and let's find out how they tick. Let's find out what drives them, how they make decisions, what they focus on. And then, and then you might be able to then walk out to a, that worker on a, on a uh, piece of equipment who you don't like because they don't like you, um, probably because you've been a policeman and, um, and then how to engage with them. That would be a starting point, I think. Thank you, Rob. Uh, um, another question. Um, are you aware of the Tewari Tapa Wa model developed by Sir Mason Dury in New Zealand, examining a holistic approach to well-being and then applying the holistic thinking to the world of safety? Uh, yeah, well, that, that's obviously social psychology. It's outside of safety anyway, but it's more psychosocial than social psychology. So there's a big difference between social psychology and psychological sociality. Um, yes, I am aware of that. And, and, and that's good because the, the, the psychosocial approach is a completely different discipline outside of safety, uh, which is why I mean, unless safety steps outside into approaches like that, and there are many similar, it will never cope with things like suicide, uh, suicide ideation, anxiety, depression, and some of these things which plague the risk and safety world, which can't be dealt with by duty, compliance, obedience, and policing. So, so yes, I'm aware of that and being outside coming in, that's a good idea. That's a good yeah. start. Talking of which, uh, I find the whole idea absolutely absurd that we are now soon going to be having a, an ISO standard for met mental health, uh, yes. which is a discussion on its own. It's, it's so worrying. Um, yeah, well, it, the, industry's not, the industry's not set up for it, you see. You can't go to an engineer and ask them what their view is on, it, on mental health. Yes, mental, health is, mental health is not a hazard. Stop thinking of it like a hazard. Anyway, keep going. It's a very worrying thing, I guess. Uh, yeah. Um, yeah. It seems that some issues are taboo. Uh, I will never talk about. Should communicating with the opposite others be a part of your ever-developing ethos? Yes. Yep. Yep. Yes, I think uh, it's, so. like, it's, like, it's like you and I, Nippon. You know, I come from a, a, a strong uh, 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 religious Christian background which I don't adopt, of course. I know about it, but I don't adopt it. You come from a strong Hindu background and, and you have, that's in your memory. It's not necessarily what you adopt, but it's something you know that's in your history. You and I come together as in many ways opposites, but we meet in this dialectic of sharing and learning, not competing, yeah? And so I think that's, if, if, if you've got the courage, you know, to, to befriend a social worker or a community worker or a lawyer, you will grow and develop if you have that genuine will to learn from them and to listen to them and for them to listen to you and meet in the middle. Oh, to be honest, the listening, to, I've invited so many people in the last one year. I think I've gained the most out of anyone. It's so much to absorb. Uh, uh, what what would Rob like to see in the syllabus for a safety degree? Uh, what would it look like? I think this is a repeat question, so I'll leave this one. Uh, I have just one well, last uh, question. A couple, a couple. There should be a module on ethics as a foundation. 
Ethics is the foundation of professionalism. Unless you, so for example, it's really, really easy. If you're doing things which dehumanize other people, you're not being ethical and you're not being professional. And, and you know that the interesting yeah. thing is, without even knowing that, without even knowing that we are doing that. There, yeah, and there is no, if you are a teacher, a lawyer, a social worker, a doctor, your first module is ethics. Your first module in risk and safety is not ethics. In fact, there's no degree anywhere I know of that has a module on ethics as its foundation. So there's your first one. The second one should be on uh, the nature of persons. Now, not psychology, it could be anthropology, but the nature of people, why are people as they are and the social meaning we gain through groups and organizing because most risk and safety people are part of organizations. So there's, there's just two you should put in and get you. I mean, anyone can look up a regulation. Why the hell do you have to learn it by rote? You know, if I go to the average school teacher and I say to them, you know, what does the Education Act say about this and this? So that's good. I can look it up. I've got Google like you have. Yeah. Well, you can do exactly the same with the regulation, the legislation. But there's this crazy thing and this crazy expectation that everyone in risk and safety memorizes the goddamn thing. What the hell is that about? Lawyers don't memorize it. Yes, Rob, we are exactly 9.30 now. Yep, yep. Uh, one last thing. Uh, I just want to thank everyone for joining. It's been wonderful. I know we have not answered many questions, but we will try in the next few days, put these questions together and, and send them across to you. It's been a yep. wonderful thing listening to all of you. Uh, I think uh, uh, it's, I, I gained so much from this conversation as I always do, Rob, listening to you. So if people want to find you, Rob, where should they look for oh, you? Uh, right. <laughs> because you're not on LinkedIn, I know. I, I, I don't bite. Write me an email. I will respond to every single email. Um, if you want to know what to read, I will certainly say, look, this is a good book. I never recommend my own books or anything like that. But I saw someone here says, I'm trying to develop an ethics unit for a, a safety degree. Good on you. That's great. Write to me. I'll help you. I've been delivering an ethics module within my uh, work uh, at, at a very sophisticated level for 20 years. There are lots and lots of people have been doing that. Don't, don't reinvent the wheel. There's lots of stuff there. So yeah, write to me. I'm on the internet. It can be just, uh, it can be robertlongtoo at mac.com. It can be roberthumandimensions.com, robertcrr.com.au. I'm all over the internet. Just put in Dr. Robert Long and up I'll come. Yes, and and, and if you if you can't remember those emails, I will send uh, send it out in as as a podcast uh, in the link of the in the newsletter. So you will have uh, Rob's email address. What a wonderful yeah. conversation once again! Thank you very yeah. much, everyone, for joining. Oh uh, yeah, I just I just I, I will give you a plug. Just one plug. Yeah, sure. Please do. None of this is theoretical. I help organisations change their methodology and their methods. And a good example for Europe, this is for people across Europe, UK, Canada, etc. I've written a book with a guy who's the global work health safety manager for Mondi Group, the world's largest forestry paper producer, right? Huge company in 30 countries, 30,000 employees, etc. He wrote this book called It Works, right? That's because his organization have adopted a different methodology away from paperwork, away from uh, 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 the traditional engineering methodologies using social psychology to change the way they tackle risk and it works. And so he wrote about it, right? Mostly he wrote it. So if you, I mean, I'm not here to sell books, but if you wanna know, why it's practical and that actually works, Brian, just to order one off my website, Brian will mail the book to you. Um, and you can learn about, we haven't had time to talk about the methods of social psychology, but it's a completely different method. It's, it's nothing like what's currently practiced in risk and safety. Sorry, I went on. Brilliant. Well, thanks very much, Rob. Thank you very much for joining. Have a lovely day, everyone. Yeah, great. That was my last podcast for the year. I hope it has inspired you to think a little bit more deeper 
I thought it was very thought-provoking, very uncomfortable in some places. But that's how learning is. I'll meet you again next year with a new topic, which is very close to my heart also. And in this event, in this LinkedIn event, I will be asking the question, is just culture desirable for learning? Is there a relationship between a just culture and a learning culture? I will be joined by some industry experts, some subject matter experts who know something about just culture. So please join us on, on LinkedIn. It will be announced soon. I will let you know. Keep an eye on my, my company page and, and my own page as well. Meanwhile, if you want to know more about how to create a learning culture, please get in touch with me. I'll be more than happy to share my thoughts with you. I wish you a very happy and healthy festive season. I think it's been a very challenging year for all of us. So enjoy your hard-earned break with your family and loved ones. And see, I'll see you again very soon. Goodbye.